You're listening to the Mamas in Training podcast, and I'm your host, Jessica Lorian. Tune in every Wednesday to hear a new expert mama share what she wishes she had known before becoming a mom. While I'm not yet a mom because of an autoimmune disease, I'm learning right alongside you. Now, have you ever had the thought, I hope my baby doesn't become a picky eater, or maybe your baby is already a picky eater? Well, today we're going to give you some tips on how to get ahead of picky eating. While I've chatted in the past on episodes 78 and 88 about starting solids and the best ways to feed your baby, we're going to focus on how to mentally prepare so we're ready if our child does become picky. Registered dietitian and picky eating expert Jennifer Friedman shares with us the tools to avoid picky eating and how we can set a good example as well-rounded eaters. Jenny has a master's of science in nutrition and public health and is currently on the journey herself as her 12-month-old is starting to refuse some foods. Listen to the end to hear the three prompts that you can use to make introducing food a success. Now on to the show. I was very, am very lucky that my son has been a great eater, but now he's, we started that right before he was six months old and he's now approaching 12 months old uh, at the end of this week. And I'm starting to see this resistance, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's been very interesting just to see how this sort of naturally, so, you know, kids naturally become pickier as they get older. It's very common for a six month old for a baby to kind of like everything they're learning. So it's not that it should be easier that they can eat everything, but it is pretty normal for them to be very open to a variety of foods. But when they reach maybe 12 months, it seems early, but more like 18 months, two years old, they do start to naturally become pickier and we're experiencing some of that. And so it's been very interesting for me to work with some of these challenges as he's beginning to not reject, but no longer like favor the vegetables that he used to love and he's throwing them on the floor and I have to kind of catch myself like in my reactions to these things like oh mm-hmm. but you used to love broccoli come on you know and oh he doesn't right. like this so I'm not going to offer a cauliflower anymore so it's very interesting to really yeah go through it on my own and to it gives like a whole other aspect of this learning. Well, happy almost birthday to him. That's exciting. Thank you. It is. Of course. Yes. We've covered starting solids. We've covered toddler eating in other previous episodes. And if you're listening and check out episodes 78 and 88. But today, I we really wanted to cover specifically picky eating because I feel like we can never talk enough about food <laughs> and about starting food with kids and babies. It's just such a hot topic that parents are always looking for help with. It's always a stressful moment. So at what age can we expect that picky eating might start? You mentioned you're just starting to notice it with your son at about 12 months, but what is kind of a common age that we can mentally prepare that this might happen? Often in research, I read about two years old, but I get a lot of messages from parents seeing it closer to 18. So 
I would stick more, kind of be on the lookout for two years old as maybe this typical time. We typically see it from about two to five or six years old. And by then we see kids start to kind of come out on the other side of it. It might only last for two years. It could last for that like three or four year window. But as I said, I am seeing my son's preferences start to change. And he's only 12 months old. And I get a lot of messages from parents feeling that they're noticing a lot of red flags closer to 18 months. Mm -hmm. that point, though, I would really want to just be on the lookout for something else that could also be going on. It could just be that their palate is changing, that your child is asserting some independence. Those are two factors that go into this typical picky eating phase. But it could be something else. And we just want to make sure that we're not missing like an oral motor delay or some sort of sensory sensitivity if you are catching or noticing some signs happening kind of closer to that, like 12 or 18 months. So in the spirit of getting ahead of picky eating, what are some things, if any, that we can do during the newborn phase, during the time when we're not even at that six-month mark or that five-month mark yet, and they haven't even started solids? Is there a mental preparation that we can go through? How can we start to begin to think about this early? two things that I would start to do. The first is when, you know, however you are feeding your child, it's helpful to know that they really should be in control of the food. So of course, when they're thinking about a newborn, they need a lot of support. Like there's no way that they could eat or survive or do anything without us. So we are their guide and you have to kind of make sure at that stage that you are helping your child eat every two to three hours when they're really young and that you're providing them those opportunities and you are being a little bit more hands-on than you would be as they grow up. But at that stage, we still really want to let them be in control. So kind of watch your baby's cues. Are they done? Are they hungry? And we want to respond to that. We provide structure, but you're really responding to what your child's signals are telling you to how they're communicating to you. I think one of the most damaging things that we can do or one of the things that does not set our kids up for success is like pressure them is kind of force our own agenda or force them to eat when they don't want to eat you can provide that opportunity for them to eat whenever you know it's appropriate but it's up to them to really even as babies decide how much they're going to eat at that point so just be really responsive and respectful like with my son even now I'm nursing him and, you know, if I see like, oh, you know, that was like kind of a short session. He didn't really do a lot here. I'm going to pause and give him another opportunity. So he said, I'm done. I'm going to just kind of make sure and offer like, are you done? Are you sure? And if he says, yes, I'm done, then no problem. You know, and I'm just watching those signals. He's yeah. not communi- you know, he's not verbally communicating to me, but I'm not forcing him to do anything. And that's a really important thing to practice from kind of day one when you're starting yeah. to feed your child, however you, you know, what, however you're doing that, however works best for you. Do. Even if you're, yeah, breastfeeding, bottle feeding, whatever you do, it, that's an interesting thing because I think... We often forget that babies, especially newborns too, their bellies are so tiny. So tiny. And yeah, we don't really think about that. So it's important to remember that they'll get the food that they need. I I think, how do we balance though? And and this goes from newborn all the way through any any age (laughs) that a child is. How do we balance that stress around making sure that they get fed and that they're eating food, whether it's just they're nursing or whether we're introducing other foods, 
and also make sure that we don't stress ourselves out. And I think this is the hardest part and also like kind of one of the biggest things that goes into it because when we are stressed about food and feeding, our kids are stressed about food and feeding. Mm-hmm. You know, when it becomes like a, an internal battle for ourselves or a struggle for us, they really feel like that trickles down to them. So it is hard. You know, there's a lot of caveats here, especially when we're talking about young babies, but trusting that you are doing your job and you are doing everything that you can to support them. If your child does need extra support, you're getting that support and that's good. And as they go older, just really, you know, my son's eating seven times a day, you know, so if one of those isn't great in my eyes, like I can trust, okay, there's something going on with him at this moment. That's fine. Those six other, you know, he's got six other opportunities in the day to eat. So he'll make up for it at some point. And if he doesn't make up in those six opportunities this day, he's got seven other days or, you know, six additional days in the week. So knowing that you are providing the right structure for your child and just being able to trust that and learning that you can trust them as well, that they'll tell you if there's ever an opportunity where a child is really communicating to you, I need something right now, you know them and you're able to provide that. So it is it is really tricky, but I think having kind of a faith in yourself and trying to really almost set this intention as you're starting out. So you're a new mom, you're feeding your child, kind of think like this is how you don't need to have all the answers and so many things are going to come up for you that you don't expect or that you can't, you know, anticipate or who knows that it will surprise you. But if you can sort of set the intention on food is not going to be something, feeding my child is not going to be something that stresses me out. That Mm -hmm. is a problem. You know, it's going to be something that's enjoyable for us that we're both going to enjoy together and have it be kind of a bonding experience together, something fun. If you can maybe get ahead of it that way, that's a really good way to then be able to catch yourself and remind yourself in the moment that everything's okay. And if you feel like it's not okay at any point, there's a world of resources for you out there where you can get support. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of learning from example and the example that we're setting for our kids and how that might impact their journey? kids are watching everything that we do. I even think babies Mm -hmm. are watching everything that we do. And that's one of the signs that your child is ready to eat is when they see you eating and they start to kind of show that interest. So we are role modeling everything for our kids and, you know, research after research. And I think personal experience shows that we are really setting the example for our kids. We're showing them how to do things, demonstrating the relationship with food that we would like our child to have. We are showing them how they can interact with food and how they can experience food. So if we want our kids to eat a variety of foods, it's good to eat a variety of foods ourselves. If we want our kids Mm -hmm. to enjoy eating, it's good to enjoy eating ourselves and to have them do that. And eating with them and sharing those experiences is a really valuable, influential, powerful thing that we can do and a really fun thing. Eating should be fun. You know, it's important for our bodies. It's necessary for our bodies, but also like socially, culturally, it's a wonderful, special thing. And we should, as best we can, as often as we can, try to enjoy those moments with our kids. I think that's a really important key too, because oftentimes (laughs) what tends to go first is our own nutrition And that can be so damaging for our minds and for our bodies and everything. And so if we really try to make it a priority to sit down with them, if at all possible, and instead of, you know, 
shoving the food in while you're doing multiple things on your to-do list or, you know, having just a quick little granola bar or something like that, the aspect of having a full meal and sitting down with them, that demonstration can impact their experience of it. I think one of the number one things that we kind of overlook is setting our kids up for success in terms of appetite. So appetite regulation before meal times. Mm-hmm. And this is hard, especially hard if you are worried about your child's eating. So what we really want to do is make sure that they are coming to meal times hungry. You know, if we want them to eat at meals, they need to be hungry at meal times. Mm-hmm. So that can be setting an appropriate window in between meals and limiting beverages between meals and limiting snacking, especially like grazing and unplanned snacking between meals. So depending on the age of your child, you might have two hours in between a meal. And that could be snacks too that you're including in there. But we really want our kids to come to the table hungry. It will help them eat adequately. It'll help them be more open to trying new foods. And it will help them sit at the table for longer and enjoy mealtime. And in general, be more pleasant during mealtimes as well. The other thing that we can do is just expose our child to food everywhere. You know, they can help us in the kitchen. They can join us grocery shopping. They can just watch, you know, it's a really helpful thing even for a baby to do is watch you prepare food. And I'm seeing this in my own son that he's interested in what we're doing and like just making coffee in the morning. He wants to be a part of it and he wants to be involved. So that's a, you know, get them in the kitchen as early, definitely as early as you can. One thing that I wanted to ask you about in terms of setting ourselves up for success And this could be a little bit of a hot button for people, but I wanted to get your opinion on entertainment during mealtime. And I know that this can be tricky, especially if you have multiple kids, especially, you know, if you have to do other things as well and you're not able to sit down three times a day with your child to eat a meal. So how do we navigate entertainment and making mealtime fun, but maybe not necessarily having to put an iPad in front of them? Yes, this is a hot button issue. And here's my take, which is also sometimes a hot button issue. I would avoid introducing like a tablet or an iPad, a toy at the table if you do not already have one there. But I know a lot of families who, you know, with older children are using one And there's often a good reason. I don't think any parent introduces a tablet while their kid's eating because they're like, do you know what my kid really needs? It's some more screen time. You know, like (laughs) they really need to watch more cartoons. So I know that there's a good reason. And often that reason is that it makes eating easier for your child. You see that they sit at the table longer or they eat better or they're more open to trying new foods. So I understand why the tablet can be there. But we're thinking about, oh, I'm struggling with mealtimes. They're not fun. My kid's not sitting. What do we want to do? And, you know, or what can we do instead of introducing a distraction, a toy, a tablet? What I would really try to kind of go back and think about is what's the barrier for them? What is preventing them from sitting at this meal and enjoying the meal? Is it that they're not hungry? <laughs> like I said, if mm-hmm. they're not coming to the table hungry, then they don't want to sit and eat. So that's going to manifest as like throwing the food on the floor or whining or complaining. So the the tablet would just be a Band-Aid for that. So we can think about instead of, you know, adding the Band-Aid or throwing water on the fire, instead we can prevent that fire from starting in the first place. And that would be helping them come to the table ready to eat, feeling hungry. We can also help them feel ready physically to come to the table. So beyond hunger, like if they're just sitting for a long time, you notice this with my son, if we, for some reason, we're 
in the car out for a long walk and we come home and we're late for lunch. We throw him in the high chair. Like the poor kid's been sitting for, you know, yeah. an hour, two hours. And then we're asking him to <laughs> sit again. Think about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So instead, let's get our kids moving a little bit before the meal, even if they're like watching TV before the meal, then it's still just more sitting. So being active before a meal time can help. And you know, it's, I don't sit down with my son, you know, for three meals a day. We're not eating together three meals a day every single day, but you can still try to pay attention. Something that I'll do sometimes is just like start to do dinner prep alongside him if I'm not eating when he's eating. And that's a really cool way also to expose him to new foods. He wants everything that I'm chopping. So cauliflower, Mm -hmm. he used to like, lately hasn't been into it, but I was chopping it up last week and he was, you know, motioning and communicating that he wanted some. Mm -hmm. So I gave him some and just put it on his tray with like out any expectation of what he would do and he ate some. Mm -hmm. If you feel like you need something else, like in terms of kind of an activity, some families really like playing music or having their kids, if you have an Alexa app, like the kids can ask Alexa to play certain songs. So that's a nice kind of in-between for the meal. We do a lot of music during the meal and it's it's fun. If I'm enjoying it and I feel happy also, like then he feels happy and it's music that I'm picking. You know, it's frequently Mm -hmm. like the Hamilton dress soundtrack or like you know my favorite (laughs) 90s hits and then I'm singing and having fun and he's like oh this is great cool right right once again showing that example of Mm -hmm. this moment can be fun can be exciting right it doesn't have to be about the food but it you know if it's kind of a fun calm environment that makes eating easier I read that you talked about a few prompts that we can help our child to try new foods when we get to that moment. This is probably a little bit more when they've already had solids and maybe we're talking a little bit more about 18 months, 16 months, something like that. So I love getting kids hands-on with food. So getting them like touching, exploring. It's a it's a helpful way for them to learn. And you can actually think about when your child is like when a baby, if you're doing kind of however, I was going to say if you're doing baby led weaning or spoon feeding, but it doesn't matter. Your child is getting dirty with food. And so yeah, let's actually back it up. And like, that's one of the best things to do as a new mom or with a new eater, let them get dirty, let them get messy with their food, let them touch it and get it all over their face. That's how they're learning. So that is an amazing experience for like that six month old, seven month old when they're starting to eat. And it continues even when they're older. So if you do see pickiness start to come, you know, several months down the line, what we we can kind of work to encourage those experiences a little bit more. And what it is, is breaking down any boundary, any like hesitation, and also acclimating our child, helping them to get to know the food a little bit better and building their comfort. So you can encourage them to look at the food, to touch it, to smell it. We just kind of want to get to know it. You know, what is this like? So it Mm. builds our kids comfort. It helps them get to know it, get more comfortable, but it also tells the brain what to expect when they're going to eat. I really like using the phrase, you can, you can smell it, you can poke it, you can Mm. touch it, you can take a lick, you can take a bite when you're ready. It's just a way to empower them. And it's an invitation instead of like, take a bite, you know, which is, is typically not helpful and not something our kids want to do. So you can start that at any point. It doesn't need to be play. It doesn't need to be super messy. It's just a way for our kids to start to engage with food and start to learn a little bit more. Um, And you can start it young. So my son, you know, he's not talking, but 
I'm still talking to him about food. Ooh, this is avocado. It's really mushy. You know, the banana is soft like your avocado. You know, this is really sweet like mm. the oatmeal you had yesterday. And he doesn't quite understand that stuff. But if I'm, I mean, he, he probably oh, yeah. doesn't at all. He's but picking things up though. I, he, I, I guarantee he, yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So when we're, we're, we're communicating mm-hmm. all of that, you can talk to your child at any point. I know sometimes <laughs> when we have this idea of like letting them touch it, letting them get messy, we instantly, or at least maybe not everybody, mm-hmm. but I know I probably would be because I like things clean and orderly, would probably be quick to clean them up, to wipe their face, yeah. to, you know. But are we kind of subconsciously ingraining a little bit of picky eating or picky behavior by doing things like that? We can be. So there's kind of twofold. One is if we are quick to clean our child, like clean their face, clean their hands, we can actually be conditioning them to dislike being dirty. And we can kind of almost like set them up to have a hard time with different senses, different foods um, being on their body or different sensations. So I discourage that. That was something personally, like I'm feeding my child in front of, you know, grandparents and I'm like, don't wipe his face. They go to wipe it. I'm like, no, leave it there. But you can think how frustrating it is as a child. Do you get some like, yeah, Yeah, like constantly wiping. Yeah. Yeah. Like even with the spoon, you know, like, oh, we, we miss, it's my son's least favorite part of eating. He hates getting cleaned at the end. So I mm-hmm. try to hold that off for as long as possible, especially when he's eating. I want him to be in control and to enjoy it. It is hard. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. He like, there's this one instance I gave him eggplant, which was cool because he had like not really been eating eggplant and he took it and he was enjoying it, but he like mushed this mushy eggplant and then like rubbed it all over the back <laughs> of his hair. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, you know, and then I'm picking you up just and putting you into the bath yeah and like last night he had fish and it was so stinky and my my husband was like all right and like picking you up and I'm just gonna smell like fish and I yep. am sitting there like kind of cleaning the floor as he goes but that's again our kind of anxiety that is then going to trickle down to our kids and so you can put a limit wherever you need to put the limit you know my son is in the phase where he's throwing food on the ground and I'm really trying to teach him okay if we're done with food it stays on our tray or you can hand it to me we don't need to throw it all over um So you can, you know, like set your own limits, but really having that kind of like uptight rigidity, anxiety about it all that will trickle down. And I think give them some, some of the same reservations that, Ooh, eating isn't safe or it's not comfortable or I'm not free to do what all the things that I want to do. I'm not free to explore. It's not okay to be messy. So I, I do recommend trying to avoid that. And, it, and it's hard to get the, the high chair is a little dirty or the mat. We got a mat for the floor under the high chair because I was like really stressing about the floor. So now the mat can get dirty and like, I'll clean it really well once a day, or maybe I won't and I'll clean it really well the next day because it's more important to enjoy my life and not stress about that and enjoy eating with him. It's probably going to be a constant reminder several times, but then you'll just be able to breathe through it, I imagine. (laughs) Slowly but surely. (laughs) It is tough. You know, like it's, I love feeding my son. I love mealtimes. It's exhausting. It's a mess. It's a lot of work. Like you're cleaning that high chair three times a day. It's all going to be worth it. He's going to be a child who loves to eat. Exactly. So we didn't necessarily talk about specific styles of eating and of serving food, but making sure that they do eat during mealtime, that they have enough food and sustenance, but then also being open to having it be on their terms. And so when I talked about this with my husband, he was like, yeah, I understand that it's good to leave it up to them and to have that freedom, but also 
if you put it in the child's hands and they want to eat whatever time that they want to eat, then you're kind of on their timeline and on their clock. And how does that affect the rest of our day? So how do we navigate that? I think it's tough and it it will change for every family. And, you know, one thing that I'm seeing and a good piece of advice that I got in general, not related to eating, but with having kids that everything is just a phase, you know, everything is, it's going to be short lived. They're always changing, which means your schedule is always changing and their needs and your needs, everything's changing. So be mindful of that when these things arise. And I think that you can probably find like a, you know, a middle ground there where you're balancing your child's needs and your own. So kids do need a certain schedule or they do require a structure around their food. So I'm thinking of my son, he's having four milk or bottle or nursing opportunities throughout the day and three meals. And we can swap those if we need to. But basically, like we don't have a ton of flexibility between the time that he wakes up and goes to bed. And like we, you know, we have them at certain intervals throughout the day. So we can adjust a little bit and be flexible. But it doesn't always fit in that we're like we're having family you know we, we don't eat dinner yeah. together because he goes to bed at like 6 30 and has a bath before and like my husband's not home to have dinner with him at 5 5 30 mm-hmm. so we are balancing that and kind of being i think where you can be flexible is like oof maybe like there was a time for us this was bed not food but um he was going to bed like he was younger he was sleeping seven to seven it was i didn't like it it wasn't really working for me and we adjusted him to go to six to six so that's something that you can kind of think about with your meal times as well like what's going what's working for your child what's working for you and where can you meet in the middle if you need to meet in the middle say we sit down for lunchtime and our child just picks a little bit and we don't feel like they've eaten enough maybe they we thought that they sat down and they were hungry but they still didn't eat that much maybe they just want to go back and play if we're following that method the idea is then, okay, well, they sat for the allotted time that we expected them to sit. They didn't eat that much, but fine, we'll let them off and and we're done. So how do we then navigate? Do we at the next mealtime or snack time, give them a snack? Or when they then say 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later that they're actually hungry, do we then have them sit down again for mealtime? Or am I just overthinking this probably like every other person? (laughs) I think a little bit of both. So what would kind of my blanket advice would be and what kind of the general advice for feeding kids is that caregivers, grown-ups are the ones who dictate when those meals occur. So kind of feeding on demand, that's more something we can do with like a very newborn. We let them eat whenever they want to eat. But once our child is... um old enough to say, like, I want a snack, I'm hungry. At that point, we should be putting the structure in place for them. And that's why we know, like, you can know that you're doing your job because you're giving them kind of this routine. So it's not like willy-nilly every day. Oh, I don't know when we're eating. Should we have a snack today? Maybe. We'll see. But if they know, like, every day I have lunch around this time, I get a snack in between, and everything is somewhat consistent, and we're giving them enough opportunities, we shouldn't need to worry about, like, the, oh, my God, I'm hungry. Because it's like, hey, I understand you didn't eat a lot at lunch today. You probably weren't that hungry. I hear you're hungry now. We're going to actually have snack in 30 minutes. And you're the one who's really structuring that because if we start to kind of do that feed on demand and every single I'm hungry turns into a snack, they're never going to be hungry for mealtimes. And then they're probably going to be eating more snacky foods instead of foods at the table. And those are often the more nutritious foods or the new foods that they're meeting. 
So we do Mm -hmm. really want to value those meal times. But of course, you are the parent and you know your child. And if you do feel like they're telling me they need a snack, I think they might need a snack. You can give them a snack, you know, like that. That's okay. In general, we want to try to dictate and be in charge and provide enough structure for them that they will have the opportunities to fill their bellies whenever they need, that their appetite will grow between meals and they can come to the Mm. table feeling hungry and ready. I love that. The last thing I want to really touch on is for the parents who are just starting this journey of food and introducing, what are some signs that we might look for that our baby might be getting a little bit picky? And and kind of where's the threshold with that? Some things I'm noticing with my son is just a... He used to kind of gobble everything down, like, without question. And now he's inspecting food a little bit more. He's sometimes saying no. He's definitely becoming more selective with vegetables, which is Mm -hmm. pretty common. So I am trying to remind myself, he doesn't really know. He's still learning, you know, and it's not that he doesn't know. He has feelings and opinions and those are real, but he's still learning and I still need to give him those opportunities. And so one of the best things that you can do if you do see your child becoming picky is continue to offer a variety of foods, continue to offer new foods, continue to offer foods that they're rejecting. So I mentioned eggplant and cauliflower were two foods that my son was kind of like off of. He used to eat them and then he just like stopped eating cauliflower. I'm still going to offer it to him. I'm still going to, you know, it's a pain to like put the time and energy into making it. I think that's the biggest barrier for parents is like, why would I make this if he's just going to throw it out? He needs to have that um, continued exposure. And Mm -hmm. It takes kids often a lot of times, a lot of tastes before they learn to like a new food. So we do want to continue to offer it like periodically, you know, not a couple of times a year, yeah. but like every so often we do want to continue to introduce those foods. You can play around with how you're introducing them, how you're offering them, but continue to give them the opportunity to try that food. That's the very first thing that I would do is don't really come to any conclusions yet. Our bodies are always changing, kids especially, and I'm sure you can think of an experience in your own life where there was something that you used to not like and there became a time you started to like it or food that you used to love and you're like suddenly this is weird so I was gonna say even for adults I'm experiencing that as well like oh I'm just starting to like seafood a little bit exactly (laughs) but I still eat a very well-rounded diet so Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's okay we're always changing so be be open-minded and again like we're the best role model so who knows like my son sees me eating cauliflower all the time. He's going to suddenly be like, that stuff's got to be good. You know, yeah. this, this woman loves it. I want yeah. some. You know? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Continue to give them the opportunity and set a good example. This is normal that, you know, it's not you. It's not anything you're doing. It's not your child. This is totally normal. I think it's something that you can definitely expect to happen. But that doesn't mean that just because it's normal, like it's, you know, a typical developmental phase doesn't mean that it needs to be like terrible for you or that your child needs to only eat like plain pasta. You have the tools and the resources. You have them here in, you know, in our discussion today, you've had some other great guests on and there's a ton of resources for you out there. So if you're feeling stuck and lost and overwhelmed, there's, you know, a lot for you to get support on this. So it doesn't have to be something tricky. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a good thing to remember too, that we could just have a session or two or a little bit of help in a, in a short course or something to really open our minds and get us feeling less stressed about 
this journey and preparing for this journey as well. So if you're listening and you need a little bit more support, a little bit more encouragement, Jenny has a whole slew of tools. I have links that will be in the show notes. You can check those out, but she has courses. It's unbelievable what you have on your website. And I'm so grateful that you were here to talk really about the picky eating side of things and how we can really prepare for that because it's one thing to pick a method of eating, but to think about this beforehand and really start this process when we're breastfeeding, when we're giving a bottle and reading the cues of our newborn can really set us up to read the cues of our future toddler as well. So I'm so grateful to have had you on here and provide the thoughts and information that you did. And I hope that everyone checks you out if they need a little bit more support. Awesome. Thank you. As Jenny said, stress can play a huge factor during mealtime, whether you're breastfeeding or pumping and are questioning your supply or whether you have a toddler who will only eat Cheerios. We are here for you and we have support for you. If you want to hear how other mamas have overcome stressful mealtimes, join us in the Mamas in Training Facebook community today so you can instantly have access to a loving group of women who have been there. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes that says Facebook community, and I'll see you there. Remember, we're in this together. And finally, I have one last thing to tell you. Okay, I have a confession. It's safe to say that I spent 95% of the past year and a half in comfy clothes, and most days PJs. Yeah, it's true. And you might have too, and you know, that's okay. I give you permission to always be cozy. And lucky for you, I have found the coziest clothes around from Kindred Bravely. From their PJs to their leggings, bras, shirts, and unbelievably cozy sweaters, they're perfect for this fall weather. And for always, let's be honest. Every piece of clothing I have from Kindred Bravely is made out of the most luxurious fabric I have ever felt. It's like wearing a soft cloud all day long. The best thing about Kindred Bravely's products is that the founder and CEO, a mother of two, created them with you in mind, a woman and a mom. Since I'm a mama in training, I haven't personally used their nursing bras. However, I surveyed my community of mamas and almost 100% of them recommended Kindred Bravely over another nursing bra. So if you're ready to get cozy, it's time to treat yourself. Go to kindredbravely.com and use the promo code TRAINING20 to get 20% off. That's K-I-N-D-R-E-D-B-R-A-V-E-L-Y.com and use the code TRAINING20. The link is in the show notes. Here's to getting cozy. If you enjoyed the show today, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so I know how to better serve you. I'd also love for you to join our community of Mamas in Training on Facebook. You can find me at Mamas in Training on Instagram and at mamasintraining.com. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together. <laughs>